I'm Natalia Loback, and this is Change Course. What game are you playing? I was recently coaching an executive who was going through a difficult time with a change implementation. This person has been asked to build a new program to enhance a specific piece of value inside an organization and grow revenue around a very specific area of delivery. And this executive was running into consistent resistance from another person in power. In previous episodes, I've talked about resistance and I've talked about the adoption curve and I've talked about letting the last 5% go. But what happens when you've got a person in power who is resisting your change and not only just stubbornly resisting it, but also vocally resisting it and putting pressure on their people and their functional area to resist change. That's when you've got a bit of a problem, right? So most of the time in organizational change, you work with your leadership, you work within the power structure to make sure that you've got something in it for everybody who's part of that change. But sometimes the future and the what's in it for me isn't enough. And sometimes based on the politics of the organization or personalities of people involved, you get into areas where you've got personal resistance. Now, this is for me, in my experience, an area that I run into less. We don't tend to have a lot of areas of personal resistance because of the way that we manage change from the beginning. So when you're looking at a connected change model, you're preventing a lot of these things from happening because you're working within the system. You're figuring out what the system is. You're looking at the inflection points. You're also looking at behavioral science and how that uh, comes in as well. So a lot of the time, we don't end up with these big conflicts. We don't end up with, you know, these really entrenched individuals, but it does happen. And when it happens, this is where you've really got to get creative as a change leader or as a change manager. So this executive that I'm working with was asking me specifically, well, what do I do? And and how do I navigate around this? And so my previous advice had been, as per our model and as per our approach, find a way to go around. Find a way to navigate around this person. Tap into the fear of being left behind. Tap into that fear of being the laggard, the entrenched, the one who doesn't want to move. I spoke at length about 
the laggards in another episode. Uh, so you want to dig into that I and mean, go back and listen to it. It was pretty good. And, you know, in this case, you can't leave this person behind because they do have considerable power in the organization, right? And they have power to help or to sabotage you um, or sabotage the work that you're being asked to do. So you can tap into the fear of being left behind. So are there peers at that person's level who are getting on board with the change? Can you use uh, influence and peer pressure to help them? Can you be frank and be open and vulnerable with those other leaders and build up your alliances with them and ask them for help? So that's one way to look at it. So you can use that person's peer group. In this particular case, this individual who is very entrenched has a lot of power. Um, They've also learned to aggregate power. And so you can see similar type of thing when I was talking about toxic culture a couple episodes back about how people create these toxic cultures by aggregating power, but they also don't have a lot of strong connections with others. So this person in power aggregated a lot of power. They aggregated um, false, I would say, false loyalty among the people that they are um, they're managing and the department that they're running. But they don't have strong connections with their peer group. And so things like being left behind or having peer influence be a help is actually not effective in this case because the other peer leaders um, who are at the same level of this as this individual who have to rely on this individual in some cases for some things manage that relationship by going around this person. So they are not invested either. And so this creates another point of conflict. Once you take that option away, you have to look at what are some of the other things that you can do. And so really the last thing that you can do here and what I advise this executive to do was take the person out for a meal of their choice. Um, For those of you who are listening from around the world, maybe you don't take them out to a bar. Um, But sometimes here in North America, uh, you might do that. You might do that in a very casual setting because you take them outside of the environment, you take them outside of the office. Part of it, um, you know, that office environment, you're you're meeting them in person. A part of being in the environment lends itself to uh, the way the power structure works and how power is communicated. And so what you do is you level that. You take them out of the environment. You level the power by having this conversation somewhere else. My personal recommendation is always to have this conversation in person. I've seen this work. I have seen this work and it can be incredible. But truly, the bottom of it is, number one, you've got to be ready to be vulnerable. And number two, you've got to do it in person. There's something about us as humans that we can see so much more of the body language. We can read each other's energy. And without getting too woo about this, there is a difference in meeting in person versus doing something 
online or doing something through technology or a phone call. There's something about the tangibility of being able to see that person, look them in the eye, or even, you know, shake their hand or whatever. Um, And in a number of ways, just that setting, so setting up the right setting for this type of conversation is really important. It's almost as important as the content of the conversation that you're going to have. So what do you do with somebody who's personally resisting? What do you do? What is the conversation that you have? Well, to sum this up, you want to know and you want to ask them, what game are you playing? There are opportunities to talk about your shared goals, potentially um, the goals of the organization, and potentially what's going to happen to them if they don't change. These are the types of negative incentive conversations that we typically don't want to have at the beginning of a change. But in this case, if push comes to shove, you really want to outline for them what those negative consequences are going to look like for them personally. Whether it's, and usually I would say it's not coming from you as their direct peer. It's not coming from you as the change leader. It's going to come from somewhere else in the organization and it's going to come from someone else. Unfortunately, this can, if not done with finesse, this can make people feel like they are very cornered. But it's really about telling a future story and saying, this is what the future could look like. So what game are you playing? Do you want to play the game where you are part of this success? Or do you want to play the game where you are not supportive and you're not participating? Part of being successful in change is understanding that it's a collective success. It's not a personal success. And so you, as the person having this conversation, need to take yourself out of it. It's not about your success. It's not about your glory. It's not about any of that. And in fact, the one thing I like to remind people of when I have these types of conversations is, you know what? It's kind of like when you go out and you're battling the mythical Hydra. And in the legend or the myth of the Hydra, it's a mythical being that has multiple heads, sea monster, very scary looking, but you cut its head off and another head grows in its place. So you never actually kill it by cutting its head off. You just slay one part of it and another will come and take its place. So it's this kind of thing that I sometimes will highlight. Sure, you can try to corner me out. You can try to sabotage me. You can try to push me out of the organization. You can try to make my life incredibly difficult. But if I leave, somebody will come and replace me. This initiative is such a high priority for this organization that if you sabotage it, it will be more negative for you. And if I leave, somebody who is better equipped to deal with you will come in my place. So this is where we need to tap into the fear that can sometimes come with change and the fear that the person is dealing with is not something else that, you know, it's not what they actually need to be afraid of. And so realigning 
what it is that they actually need to be afraid of, give them something else to be scared about. Um, so not something that I recommend um, to do at any point in change other than when you're dealing with a fairly powerful, difficult stakeholder. You want to outline all of those other things that could be happening that could end up being quite negative consequences for that person for not getting on board or participating or supporting um, the change. That the change really isn't about you. It's about the organization. And if they are perceived or seen as standing in the way of profit or progress or improvement, then they will be seen as the negative piece. Not that it was a failure of the person or the organization or, or whatever it is that they're trying to do, that it will start to become apparent that it's always this person standing in the way. And if that person has a track record of difficult relationships or difficult interactions, then this becomes more and more true. So um, again, when dealing with very, very, very negative and reticent uh, resistant stakeholders, this is one of the ways that you can do it. Um, generally, their responses and motivations are from fear. So give them something else to be afraid of. Um, invoke power structures that are beyond you. Um, and talk about consequences, talk about outcomes, talk about the negative outcomes that they don't want to see. And don't make the game about you. It's not about you. It's not about your personal success as a change manager or your personal success as a change leader. This one might be hard for some folks. Um, for, you know, what I would say is if you're not someone with a lot of experience, just pretend you are. And just imagine that you know, you've had success in the past and this doesn't make or break you. You will be successful at your next one. And if you have to move on or do something else, it's not about you. And so once often these kind of conflicts are person driven, they're they're between two people. It's a personality um, type of conflict or the person who's resistant is very resistant, be resistant because of the person or the role. And so if you take that part away, it gives them less to push against. It gives them really just clear air that is there. It has nothing to do with you. If you take that out of the equation, it makes it harder for them to fight you. Um, the very last thing that I'm going to say is that I was going to call this episode, <laughs> don't hate the player, hate the game, um, which I think is probably one of the funniest sayings and one of the truest sayings out there. And, you know, really, it's about bringing the, the one thing that you could potentially bring the person on side with is the game. And you're just a player and they're just a player. It's about the system that you're a part of. It's about, it's about this greater thing that ha is happening. And really to acknowledge that it's going to happen. It's going to happen whether it's you, whether it's someone else, whether they're still there or they're not, it's going to happen anyway. So it's about the system. So instead of creating an enemy out of you or creating an enemy out of another powerful person in the organization, really, the enemy can become the system. So there's another different way that you could 
direct some of the frustration and some of the anger. The last, very last thing that I'm going to say here is that these are very vulnerable conversations. And so when you're going into this, you need to have the right mindset. You cannot make this a personal conflict about you. If the person is pushing your buttons or making you upset or making you angry, it's not the time for the conversation. You need to find the right time. So make sure that you're in the right mindset before you do this. And this is one of the ways that you can really uh, work through some of those more difficult stakeholder relationships. Remember, you don't need to be friends with everyone. You just need to make sure that they're not standing in the way of the change that needs to happen. And the reason for the change is beyond you. It's something greater than you. It's bigger than you. And it's not about you. So um, good luck. I mean, this was the bulk of the coaching that I offered to this executive who came to me who was working through this really difficult change. And honestly, the result of it was that the person that this this very difficult resistor, this peer of theirs, has stopped outwardly and visibly sabotaging the effort. Um, they are certainly not friendly. Um, They never were. But it's not like, um, you know, as one of my former favorite shows, um, I'm not here to make friends. Um, And yes, I know it's really funny. It's from The Bachelor, if you don't watch that show. um, But one of the early contestants in one of the very early um, seasons would say that, like, you know, there's like a house full of women and they're all vying for the attention of this, you know, somewhat appropriate and desirable bachelor. And, you know, the one woman, she was really there for the game. And she's like, you know what? I'm not here to make friends. I'm not here to be friends with you. I have my goals and I'm going to make sure I achieve them. But essentially, let's try to remember that sometimes in change, we're not here to make friends. We have something that we've got to deliver, something that we've got to execute, and that change in the name of the greater good in, you know, and how it's going to benefit that greater whole. Uh, You might not make some friends along the way. Um, Hopefully by the end of it, there are people who uh, you do create deep and lasting relationships with, but sometimes these resistors, you never will. So you're not here to make friends and that's okay. Um, But For this executive that I was coaching, they're not friends. Um, He's not here to make friends. And he's really there to make sure that they're getting progress and traction on this incredible change that uh, they're putting in place. So the long and the short of it, the vulnerable conversation did its work. It gave that resistor something to think about. And it essentially disarmed them. And where there was a power uh, vacuum in terms of this change, it's now created a little more openness and a little more room to at least not be actively resisting or sabotaging the change, but more into neutral territory, which is way better than where um, this person started. So we'll see how it goes. And if I can, I'll give you a follow-up episode and let you know how this turned out. But um, 
I, you know, I was excited to be brought this really good problem and I hope that you have found it helpful as well. So good luck out there. I hope you don't meet uh, too many of these really entrenched and difficult resistors, but every once in a while you will. And so I hope that this advice uh, and this chat today has been helpful. Wait, I made a mistake. Oh my goodness. I'm so sorry. I'm not here to make friends did not come from The Bachelor. It came from the first season of Survivor. And it was Kelly Wigglesworth that we can thank for that phrase. So yeah, it's been said like a million times on The Bachelor. I have to admit that um, the first season of Survivor, oh my gosh, like what season are they on now? Man, that is like a fuzzy memory. So I'm sure I actually witnessed uh, that moment of reality TV history when it aired. Like if you remember the time before when television shows happened at seven o'clock on Thursday night and you had to be there to see it or you never saw it again. Um, Yeah, I was there for that because like I definitely watched the first season of Survivor. It was wild. That's another story for another time, though. But yeah, I made a mistake. So thank you, Kelly Wigglesworth, uh, first season of Survivor, for the enduring phrase, I'm not here to make friends. And thanks for listening. And sorry about that. Uh, I'll make sure that I do better research next time so I don't do that again. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, I invite you to like, share, rate, and subscribe because it helps others find us. Change Course is brought to you by Chart House Advisory Services and ConnectedChange.com. Our music is Levity by Emily Clausen. Show notes have moved. We're now at ConnectedChange.com. So visit us there under the Change Course podcast page, and you'll find a list of all the resources that I've mentioned here today. While you're visiting us, sign up for the Change Navigator newsletter. You'll keep on top of all things change. And every month we are sharing exclusive content and resources only with our subscribers. So don't miss out. Sign up at connectedchange.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's never too late to change course.